Hey y'all, this is the ninth episode of the Southern Lodge Podcast. Today the guys and I will be discussing the NCAA baseball tournament, fishing regulations in the Gulf, and we'll give our top five fast food chains to add to the Southern Lodge list debate. So pull up a chair to the fire, and welcome to the Southern Lodge. Hey y'all, welcome to the Lodge. Today we're going to be giving you a little baseball tournament discussion because uh, Aaron being a Mississippi State fan and them making it as far as they did before they bowed out, he wants to discuss that, talk about their season. Apparently they're hiring a new baseball coach. Uh, It's just going to be me and Aaron today, or Aaron and myself if we want to get proper. Danny is MIA again. We don't know where he is. Might have something to do with the female. He might be ashamed of Auburn. I don't know, even though they did have the number one draft selection this year. But uh, maybe we can find him and get him on sometime soon. I'm sure somebody misses him. I don't know if we do. but uh, So we're going to start off. Aaron's going to give us a little recap because Mississippi State's kind of was the Cinderella, if you can say that this year. They were pretty much dead in the water. I think they fired a coach in the middle of the season and then somehow turned it around and uh, made their incredible run to Omaha. So, Aaron, Aaron, what you got to say about your Bulldogs? Man, Mike, how you doing today? I, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing exceptional. <laughs> uh, I, I got a glass of Southern Lodge sweet tea here. Uh, just finished running three miles and cooling down, thinking about uh, Mississippi State baseball and the great season we had. Man, I don't know where to start there. Uh, probably at the beginning of the season going 0-3 against Southern Miss and uh, losing the head coach, Andy Cannizzaro, um, which I don't know how deep you want to get into that, but basically he had a little scandal where uh, – an affair with uh, a person on his staff is the unconfirmed story that's out there. Uh, I think it was even more convenient that he lost three games to an in-state rival that uh, if you're a Mississippi State fan, old uh, Miss is one thing, but Southern Miss just really ticks you off. You know, I wouldn't say they're on the same level as Ole Miss at, at in any sense of the word rivalry, but they're yeah, like I, the annoying. They're like the annoying little brother that sometimes wins. That's what. That's, I, what, they that's are. what I would say. I don't know if I would give them the ranking of rival. I, th- I think little brother syndrome is is a lot better. And I, I believe I told you this last week. It, it sounds like your coach kind of Bobby Petrino'd himself. Uh, and for people that may not know or may not remember, Bobby Petrino was in a motorcycle accident with a young woman who turned out to be a staffer, and he was having an affair with her, and he lied about it and ended up costing him his job at Arkansas. But I don't know if Aaron's situation is – it sounds like something similar to that. So we'll, we'll say he Petrino'd himself. Well, and to be clear, the, the issue with him was not necessarily the affair. It was – it was the fact that he was spending university dollars on this person uh, to accommodate them on these trips with, uh, you know, the baseball team. And, you know, that brought up, that brings up a little topic, a little sub-debate, if you'll allow it. Will, will you allow a little sub-debate right here, Mike? I think that's what this show is all about, so yes. <laughs> In the sense of a job. 
in what careers should an affair constitute termination or a forced resignation? Uh, we're talking about, you just mentioned a football coach. Andy Candazaro was a baseball coach. If that's all that's happening there, is that enough to terminate the man? Well, you've got a different job. You know, these are public institutions getting paid with public funds. And, you know, even where what you do as an educator, I'm sure in your contract there's, um, I don't know what exactly it's called, but, um, you, you know, educator your public. Educator Code of Ethics for Mississippi. Well, there you go. But no, it's it's the uh, it's well, basically is an ethics code. Basically, where if you make the if you make yourself look bad, which in turn makes the university or your employer look bad, you know, you're fired. I think if you're having an affair, I don't think it should be fireable because it's grown man doing what he's doing now. Once he starts spending university or per se company money onset affair to facilitate it then yeah that's where we got a problem but unless he was you know maybe calling escort services or on his university phone like some football coach may have done you know an affair is i mean it's kind of the man's personal business which in today's day and age we know nobody has in nobody in the public eye has personal you know space or anything to themselves so that's my answer to you is as long as it's not a gross violation you know where you're just you know where it's just bad things happening but let's just say a coach and a secretary start having an affair you know as long as he ain't paying for her to go to games she shouldn't go to or giving her extra benefits you know he's a grown man she's a grown woman I think it's that part where they start taking extras and using his authority or her authority, you know, man, woman. It could be the other way around. Uh, I don't I don't think it should be fireable. But like you said, the man didn't sound like a good coach anyway, so. Well, I'm going to come at it from the other angle because as an educator, it frustrates sometimes new teachers that they can't go out and do the same things in public that they used to be able to do in the same places. So to clarify that, you can still go out and have a good time, and I do, but there's certain places that I can't go out and have a good time at. Because if I do, I'm likely to run into somebody who I work with, who is a parent of one of my students, or and 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 certain places like a restaurant you know an outback steakhouse or something where i'm having a foster's beer i could run into one of my students and we are role models in that field and our actions inside and outside of the schoolhouse are observable and therefore representative of the school and 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 under that line of thinking I think you can fire them, and I think you can force resignations. Uh, if you are in a public service role, you are on the same level of scrutiny as a a member of the cloth, you know, or a, a, what is it called, a clergyman. Uh, but yeah, that does that 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 often frustrates new people in the in these fields. 
but I agree with it. I think you can do it. All right. So uh, who? So who, let's jump back into yeah, the schedule. Let's huh? jump jump back into the uh, schedule. I was just curious what you thought. You know, uh, so we we opened three and zero, and at one point in the season we were like fifteen and seventeen. You mean zero okay. and three? Zero and three right after Southern Miss, and from oh, there okay. progressed uh, through the season to I, I'm pretty sure it was fifteen and seventeen, and then went on a run. That landed us uh, in a regional. We actually, I would, I would argue that the run really started three and zero against Florida. Um, that was a weekend where everybody countered us out, including myself. That was uh, May seventeenth through the nineteenth. Uh, swept Florida, arguably the number one team in the country. I'm pretty sure they were ranked number one in the country at that point. And even late into the run at Omaha, they were still considered the number one team in the country. Uh, man, this team just became really fun to watch. And we opened that regional with like a 20 to 10 loss to Oklahoma. And right there, I'm thinking, man, it's as awesome as it is to be here. That was embarrassing. And dad gummit, don't you know, through the weekend, we end up kicking butt, beating Oklahoma back to back and back to back games and winning that regional, going to a super regional versus Vanderbilt. The, the theme that I saw in this team, I think, can be described by the word clutch. <laughs> when we needed a play, we got a play. When we needed good pitching, we got good pitching. When it was the bottom of the ninth and we were the last team to bat and we needed uh, a walk-off run to win the game, we got it. And it was just crazy, man. All the way up until that Saturday night game against Oklahoma State and Omaha, Oregon State, Oregon in, State, in Omaha. Going into the the bottom of the ninth, and we we had the the tying and winning run come to the plate, and two outs though, and and I just I was like, oh my gosh, surely it can't happen again. But uh, what a beautiful season, man! I, and I think it it leads to some topics that I'd like to get your opinion on. We've we've discuss them in casual conversation but now you got the mic in front of you all right let's talk about pitching (laughs) oh boy i got so frustrated watching uh our pitchers be so creative with the pitching that we often shot ourselves in the foot how how mental how psychological is pitching like the the relationship between the pitcher and the batter, is it overstated? Is it understated? Well, I think in today's game, and just to give you an update, uh, Arkansas has just scored against Oregon State. They lead uh, in the second inning, one nothing against uh, Oregon State. So that should make you happy. But SEC, SEC, SEC. But I think in today's age, it's not as mental as it used to be because, you know, these kids are scouted so well and they track, you know, they track where guys, you know, swing, where they miss. And especially in the college game, you know, the coaches call the game anyway. So the coaches got his chart and he knows 
you know what he knows what the first battery they they know where his cold spots are they know where his hot spots are so really you know the catcher doesn't have to think the pitcher doesn't have to think it's going to get called for him the only thing that pitcher has to worry about is making a spot so i guess that you know there's no mental battle really between the batter and the pitcher per se it's more of the pitcher versus the zone and if he can hit his spot because you know, back in the old days, before all this scouting, he would, you know, it was, you know, you, you know, you may be on the right hand, you don't throw inside or this and that, but today it is so analytical. They literally map out the strike zone. They put where they, where this guy hits, where he doesn't hit, and then they just call the game. Now in the major leagues, uh, they still, the catcher calls the game, but they still do the same thing each day or night before the next opponent they're looking at scouting reports i mean the the majors just have nothing have staffs have office staffs that just you know compile this data for them so um and i know i know what your argument is you like the strike you know throw strikes versus getting fancy and it, it totally ruined your golf game the other day when the mississippi state started losing but uh and to get back to your question, that's how I answered it. There's no, it's not mentally pitcher versus hitter anymore. It's pitcher versus zone, really, and and the environment. You know, the runners on base will still affect pitchers more than the batter at the plate. I think. Do you think that aspect of the game will ever go away? Do you think they'll ever find a way where the coach can't call in certain pitches so that you bring back that element of pitcher versus batter? Well, you know, I don't think they should because they don't stop the third base coach from giving signals to the batter on, you know, if he want or the or the manager from the dugout if he wants there to be a bunch or if he wants him to swing away or a hit and run or something. So, uh, you know, the to me this is finally the pitching staff catching up to what the offensive side has been doing. Uh, they, you know, they've been given signals, you know, the whole time, whether you're stealing or, or hitting away. So I, I don't think it should be taken away and really, you know, it's, it's kind of like into cross sports. It's kind of like the, uh, young quarterbacks when they get in the NFL, they kind of get this sensory overload because, you know, in college they weren't calling games or whatnot. And then when they get in the NFL, they're seeing all these new defenses. They're having to read things they never read before. So I think if you can keep things as simple as possible for a player, it, it makes them more successful overall. So, so yeah, I, I don't think they should get rid of it. What, what, do you, what about you? I just need to see the evidence. I mean, what are the statistics when pitchers across college baseball – Okay, and then maybe look at Major League Baseball separately. But across college baseball, pitchers that consistently throw fastballs, change-ups, always in the strike zone. What are the statistics? How many do they strike out? How many earned runs do they have against them? Uh, what are the uh, – how many walks? Uh, surely the uh, – what's it called when they sack them? What, what a, a sack bunt, sack fly. I know, like uh, the pitcher pitcher accidentally or on purpose hits the runner, hits the batter. It's What's just a hit. It's a hit by pitch. But what is it when you combine that walks? Is it always walks? Oh, 
Are you talking about whip, walks, hits per inning pitched? The whip? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm making up a term in my head. I thought there was a term to, to account for uh, free bases or something like yeah, that. Yeah, whip. Walks and hits per inning pitched. You want your whip okay. to be as close to one or under one as you can. Because okay. if it's under one, um, then you're not you're giving up less than a hit per inning or walk per inning. You know. What I'm what I'm curious to see is what are the what are the statistics of pitchers who consistently throw strikes versus pitchers who are trying to throw the the the, the pitches that are always out out of the the strike zone. You know, the sliders, the uh, breaking balls. Um, you're gonna have to help me out with other names of pitches, but well, watching a lot of the Mississippi State pitching, we were so creative sometimes that we were throwing three balls in a row trying to get this batter to swing, and they weren't gonna swing. Well, a lot of that too goes back to the scouting, and you know, if a guy, you know, is hot on certain parts of the plate, you gotta, you know, you kind of, because if you know, hitters now are so good that if you leave anything over the middle, it's it's gone. So. They work that corner, try to, you know, get some movement on it to where it looks like it's a ball, but then it comes in a strike. So sometimes it comes up, you know, a ball that might be a strike against one umpire against this umpire written. So a lot of that has to come with the umpire, which is why I'm in favor of the robo-ump. You know, ESPN, Fox, everybody's got the K-zone that the TV puts up there and lets you know where that ball crossed the strike zone at. And it's frustrating when a pitch is three inches off the plate, but it's and it's a strike, and then one that uh, clips the corner and maybe is a little lower high is a ball, even though it's through the strike zone. I think umpires control too much of the game as it is and influence outcomes when they shouldn't have. But I would be interested too. But I think what you're talking about, yeah, it'd be an interesting stat, but I also think, too, that that would be one of those where you would kind of see the better controlled pitchers and the ones that hit their spots better. You know, that ball, those three straight balls, yeah, they could have been trying to get cute or the kid just may have been releasing wrong or just didn't have the control to throw it right where he needed to. And like I said, the ump could have had a tight strike zone or a loose strike zone, so, you know. I mean, I get it. the 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 pitching there it, pitching is more technical and strategic than what I originally thought it was, and it was just frustrating to watch when you know that our our coach Gary Henderson is trying to out strategize the uh, the hitting coach, but it when it just wasn't working, it was brutal, man. Um, Washington was the team that had a pitcher, man. He just threw them strikes, uh, fastballs in on the hands, and we could not score. We'd hit, but they, they'd throw us out every time. Pop flies, ground balls in the infield, and it was like, yeah, they're going to hit them if you throw them in the strike zone. They're going to hit them, but what are the chances we're going to crack one outside of the the ballpark? Right, and that's that's kind of the contact the the pitcher that pitches to contact versus the pitcher that tries to get people out and strike people out. You know, there, some pitchers pitch better to contact and some don't. So, and, and it's like I said, it's it's a real complicated thing that, or it's simple, but it's something that can get complicated real quick. But back so to Mississippi State. I kind of went you, through the. 
I kind of went through the schedule there. Um, and I'm criticizing the pitching that got us into the final four teams in Omaha. So I'm being overly critical, and I get that. Our downfall ended up being Oregon State, and it, it came down to pitching. They outpitched us, and their, their offense was insane. I got frustrated in that, that first game, and I even told you about this. Our pitching started slipping. That's when we were playing golf. Right. Our pitching started slipping, and in any other game, Gary Henderson would have pulled that pitcher off the mound and put somebody in. It seemed like in any other game, if we walked one and another one got a hit, that was it. If one got a hit, we walked another, that was it. And, man, he just really stuck with these pitchers through the Oregon State game, especially game one against Oregon State. And it was very frustrating to watch. I think I blame the. I think we could have won Saturday if we'd have played the way we played on Sunday. We could have won on Saturday, but we did not. Mm-hmm. I got my days mixed up on Friday. If we'd have played the way we played on Saturday, the way that we played on Friday, I need to restart all of this. Yeah. So I'm if y'all would have played as well on Saturday as y'all did, if y'all would have played Saturday's game Friday. Friday yeah, y'all would have won. We played well Saturday. That's what I'm trying <laughs> to say. We played well Saturday. We did not play well Friday. And and I, I blame it all on the pitching. If we would have uh, put our best pitchers in on Friday or at least burned one of them. We saved our best three guys for Saturday. If we would have just burned one of them on Friday, uh, it could have made a huge difference. So, all right, the last big topic I've got for Mississippi State uh, baseball is the hiring of the new coach, and I think the way to say his name is Lemonis or Lemonis. Interesting guy. I I don't doubt his resume at all. What the, the most curious thing surrounding this new hire, you willing to bet your new jet ski that he was hired, uh, before the announcement was made because i asked that because the announcement was made basically a day or two outside of uh the end of our run in omaha well i mean up until the end of our run stuff happens so uh, there's either there's two ways i think this happened number one they told him that you're our favorite candidate and we're very interested in you but we cannot do anything until our season's over and then they really did wait until the season was over, and then they called him and offered them him the job. Or they offered him the job weeks ago and said, we cannot, we are not going to make this announcement until the season's over. Which way do you think it happened? I think it happened to where he probably got hired in the Super Regionals and they just didn't announce it because how long was he with State before – he became head coach. Like, how long was he hey, been assistant there? Who are we talking about? The guy y'all just hired. Uh, Chris Lamonis is not from Mississippi State. I thought you. I thought you told me they hired a, a the the interim head coach to be the new head coach. That's what's about to get interesting here with this discussion. We did not. Oh. We hired a guy, I want to say, from uh, Indiana. I'm fact-checking myself right now. Hmm. 
then they probably. Well, my question have- is, my question is, what would have happened? Indiana's coach Chris Lamonis, Indiana. What would have happened if the dogs win the College World Series with interim coach Gary Henderson? And we've already promised a deal to this Chris Lamonis. Do we got a Do we got a University of Tennessee football situation where the fans uprise and uh, University uh, Tennessee has to break the deal? Well, point of order, Tennessee never signed anything with Greg Schiano, so therefore Tennessee did not break anything with Greg Schiano. But to answer your question from Mississippi State, I the way you're describing it, see, I thought I don't keep up with State. I thought you had said it was a done deal that the interim coach was going to be hired as the head coach. But now with this Indiana guy, and if it was, if he's already the head coach and State's only been out of the tournament for three days. He was either hired during the tournament or, as in the case with most of these, you know, when a football coach is always going, I'm at my job. I'm happy at my job. You know, I'm not going anywhere. And then he's gone three days after the season. Normally that means his agent and the school have been talking the whole time and the coach had been going, you know, if something happens – so, like I said, he was either hired during the tournament or his representatives told Mississippi State, hey, I'm your man. I, we'll just wait till after the season. So, but to your other point, if State would have won the national championship and they would have done this, I think y'all, I don't know if y'all would have been in as much trouble because then it gets, you know, being Tennessee, I know a little bit more now about this, about mishiring coaches. And you're okay as long as you don't sign um, the agreement. I forget the exact name of it. But basically it's a piece of paper you sign that you and the other person have agreed in principle to a deal. You just haven't signed, you know, an official deal yet. But you've agreed in principle to your terms or whatnot. And as long as you don't sign one of those, you're okay. Because then it was words. It wasn't nothing official. And, in fact, I think Tennessee's, the AD had signed it, but two other people that were needed hadn't. So that's what saved Tennessee during the whole football coaching thing. But, uh, yeah, you thought he was hired during the tournament as well? I'm thinking more like maybe even before the regionals. Mm. Because once we enter this run and start doing well, the fan base got behind Gary Henderson. And that was honestly who I thought we were going to go with. So that's why I, I think I told you at the River on Saturday, at this point, how do you not go with Gary Henderson? I mean, he's he made a deeper run into the College World Series than uh, anybody since Cohen. I mean, actually, it was Cohen, Canizaro, and then uh, Gary Henderson interim. But, man, Cohen, 2013, that's the last time we've been there. Yeah, interim head coach turns the team around and takes them on a deep run. Well, also too, I, I think your team. Well, Mississippi State had a lot of freshmen playing this year, which should excite them. Uh, this coaching situation makes me think a little bit more now because, you know, it seems like that group of Mississippi State players kind of played, you know, started playing for the interim coach. I don't know how they're going to do with the coaching change now because he'll, he, you know, he can't keep the interim coach because he was in the running for the head coaching position himself or the manager, you know, baseball, it's a manager, not head coach. But, um, so, and he'll bring in a whole new staff. So there's no telling how that will disrupt, uh, 
the chemistry. So, so I would have to maybe agree with you that he was hired before regionals because, like you're saying, making this deep run, your freshmen playing the way they did, you know, why would you mess with that chemistry unless it was hired before you thought you were going to – or before you made your run and were showing what, what could be expected in the future? I'm going to stand by what I said before. I, I'm pretty sure we'd have had an uprising – if we'd have won the College World Series and then uh, announced hiring a different coach. Um, what, what I've heard, though, that's been the most convincing argument about this is that Gary Henderson was a short-term solution. Mississippi State needs a program guy. We need somebody that's going to work with our team and stay there five to ten years and build the program into that next level. Uh, we... I don't know what to compare Mississippi State baseball to in terms of football because I heard the comparison earlier that, you know, Mississippi State, and it was by a Mississippi State person, but they were trying to say that Mississippi State baseball is like Alabama football, but it's not because Alabama football is a consistent national championship contender with national championship titles. So, what do you think? Can you think of a football team that is always on the cusp of winning a championship but just never seems to get it done? Because that's, that's really where State's baseball team's at right now. You know who I would almost compare Mississippi State baseball to? And it might be a little stretch for um, championship-wise, because I'm not sure. But back in the day – you know, Washington, not Washington State, but Washington, and heck, even Washington State was a good program for a while. But I'm trying to think, I'm Washington, you know, because Mississippi State had that history, you know, Rafael Palmero, Will Clark, they were, you know, they made that stretch there. Was that a Ron Polk? Was that when Ron Polk was coach or whatnot? But they made those runs, so. was, uh, it was in the 80s and early 90s, Mississippi State kind of had a baseball run in Starkville. So Correct, yeah. I'm trying to think of a team that, you know, I can't say Miami because they won the national titles. You can't really say SMU. I, I want to – maybe somebody like Pittsburgh, you know, or, you know, somebody you – know, but now Pittsburgh stinks in football. I don't – It's there hasn't really been a football team that was good in the 80s and early 90s and now has rebounded. Um. Oh, shoot, this is hard. This is a hard. What about Oregon? Has has Oregon won a national title? They have not. They played Auburn when Cam Newton was there and lost. But Oregon wasn't Oregon before Chip Kelly in like oh three oh four. Now Mark Helfrich, who was there before, not was it Helfrich? They were winners, but not Pac twelve winners and you know big bowl game winners. They were consistent, but. You know, Mississippi State back in the day was making it to the show, the actual, you know, the College World Series. So, um, that's So, what tough. about Texas A&M? What about Texas A&M? Do they have national championships? From like 1930 or something, I think. It's somewhere back in the day. It's an old one. But Texas A&M could, well, could be a good example because they, they were good, you know, they were good at one point and then went through a downturn and turned it back up a little bit, so... But what people really need to know is that Mississippi State was one of the elites for about a 10-year stretch, wouldn't you say, back back in the 80s, early 90s? They they were probably one of college baseball's elites. They were there in Omaha consistently. 
and then they took a downturn and sound you know it looks like they might be trying to build themselves back up well my final thoughts uh I said it before, I don't watch baseball consistently, but I am a state fan, and when we do well, I watch our sports. And uh, I listen to the, the talk radio, um, you know, Bulldog Sports Radio, try to keep up as best I can. But uh, this was an exciting team to watch, uh, basically from that mid-May uh, weekend with Florida to now. And made put Mississippi State on the national scene, it uh, showed how great some of our fans are, especially the guy talking about his wife's boyfriend selling his artificial leg <laughs> on Craigslist to be able to afford the opportunity to go to Omaha. That was hilarious. Uh, and, and for a while there, I really thought banana yellow was going to become one of our baseball colors. But uh, Yeah, what, what's the story with the rally banana? Didn't. Yeah, what's that story? Uh, one of our players, Jordan Westberg, started wearing a banana on his head, or he'd pull it out and play with it. He'd put it up to his ear like he was talking on a telephone, and he was he was very conscious of when he did anything with it, though. And there there was a relationship between what he did with the banana and the performance of the team, which created uh, you know buzz around the banana, and it became the rally banana. So. Because I watched we'll the that's... games, I had heard that Mississippi State fans, or maybe it was the team or something, were emptying hotels out of bananas, and it was hard to find bananas in Omaha for a couple of days. <laughs> uh, that's that's possible, yeah. So that's my final thought. It was an exciting team to watch. The word I'd use to describe them is clutch, and uh, it was a great time to be a bulldog, man. All right. That's all I've got for the baseball talk. Well, before we move on to uh, our next topic, I, I got a question. You know, you're uh, an average sports fan. You know, you follow a little Thank bit of everything. Not, you know, you're That's not quite too the in tuned to anything. You know, you're more into football than the other stuff, but you follow other sports. What do you think about the bigger postseason tournaments? You know, like NCAA, like basketball has 64, baseball has 64 teams. Um, you know, f- football now has finally gotten to four, which I-, I think the final solution is eight. But that's a discussion for another day. But what do you think about these, you know, the bigger team tournaments? Do you think it takes away from the regular season? Because, yeah, Florida's, Florida was seeded number one, and, you know, that that gave them the easier draw. But the SEC still got, I think – eight or nine teams, you know, maybe nine or ten teams in. So, really, you know, you finish tenth in a conference, just make your tournament and go to the national tournament. I mean, to me, it kind of invalidates a lot of the whole season if, you know, so many teams are getting to go. Now, I know we're a little biased because we're from the bigger conferences that do get – you know, a sixth of the you know a sixth of the tournament is teams from our conference, but in some of the smaller ones, you know, like the Sun Belt only gets one team in, or maybe two. You know, it's rare for them to get three or more. But for the bigger, you know, for the bigger conferences, it's almost like the regular season doesn't you know doesn't matter as much. What do you think about that for you know baseball or basketball or just just in general? I think your statement is is 
is is reality. I don't think the regular season means that much. Uh, I mean, consider Mississippi State. A good portion of our season was crap, uh, riddled with losses to bad teams, and we still made it to the final eight. The good thing about it, the final four, really, of, of the baseball teams, but the good thing about that is that it judges teams based on where they end their season, not where they begin their season. And in this case, it benefited Mississippi State. But I, I don't, I'm not positive that if Mississippi State plays each of those four teams in a three-game series that we hold our own against all of them. I, I don't know. Right. We, we kind of had a good path, and we had fortunate events. Um, teams that don't typically make errors made errors, and we got hits at uh, fortunate times. So to answer your question, I, I mean, football can't have that big of a tournament because of the liability and the probability of injury to the players, I think. But expanding out to six or eight teams is definitely doable. You know, four. I I like the six team idea where the the first two teams get a. If you're ranked number one and two, you get a buy. See, I like the eight team because six works as well. But then at the same time, yeah, the top two teams get their buy. But you need at least there if you're gonna have five power five conferences. You got to have at least you know you you got to have at least five spots. You can't leave out a power conference if if you're going to treat them with the big boys. So that's why I like the eight teams. You get your you get your five conference champions. You get your group of five, the best one or the highest ranked one, and then you go with the next two highest rated teams. Whether it's two SEC teams, two Big Ten teams, you know whatever it is. But that's how I think it should be. All right, so moving on from the sports discussion of today's episode, uh, Aaron, myself, and Danny, though Danny now is kind of more of a northern person, but if he ever gets on the show again, we'll let him talk about that. I think he might have mentioned it, but um, where he has moved to. uh, But we got the golf down by us, and me and Aaron don't fish it as much as we used to or, you know, probably like to. He hasn't bought his big boat yet, which you know I'm, I'm hoping happens in the next couple of years. But they, we got this, we got all this beautiful fishing out there, and Aaron wants to talk a little bit about it because he's in tune with it a little bit more, as in the position his dad has with with the fishing game and what you know, being the uh, uh, biologist like he was. So, Aaron, wh- what do you want to talk about with with fishing in the Gulf? Well, I, I feel like it's a hot topic, and you know, this being a, a sports and outdoors show, I don't see how we could make it through the summer without addressing a few of these fishing hot topics, as as well as the hunting topics that we talk about. And central to saltwater fishing right now, in the hot topic category, number one has to be red snapper, and the 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 debate around snapper is the disconnect between fishermen and biologists and uh, just briefly to explain how these regulations are set biologists through through department uh, state fishing game agencies and uh, 
federal agencies, you know, things like uh, NOAA, N-O-A-A, they collect data to assess the stock of species of fish, you know, so, and snapper being one of the most prized species gets a lot of attention. Millions of federal dollars are spent to research and conserve species like red snapper. Right now, if you went into uh, a marina, a harbor, and talked to fishermen, charter boat captains, uh, heck, I don't even know, maybe even, maybe even people who aren't that well informed, you're going to hear that it's BS that snapper have such low limits, which right now it's the federal limits, two per person per day. Uh, minimum size is 16 inches and it's it's a relatively short season but this year is being run a little different uh there i want to say last last year had a 10-day season recreationally and it just really frustrates fishermen because they feel like they go out there drop their line to the bottom and reel up as many red snapper as they want and they feel like the stock is fine the biologists, however, can look at 10-year, 20-year, 30-year data and tell that right now populations of red snapper are down. And the, the intention in these seasons and limits is to build that stock back up so that future generations of uh, fishermen, outdoorsmen can enjoy that, that fish. And Mike, you've been red snapper fishing and orangutan can go out there and catch a fish. Uh, a it, dog with the proper equipment could catch us a red snapper. It's a good fish to eat, and it's you know it's a good time. But it's not really. If you're only going out to fish for red snapper, it it's not a fun it's not a fun day on the water because, you know, you 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 ride an hour or two just depending where you're at and how far you need to go, but. You know, you go, you make your, you make your ride, and then depending on how many guys you got on the boat, was it, is it still two per person? Two per person. Two per person. So, and like Aaron says, the fishermen are are angry because literally, you can catch that in thirty minutes, and then unless you got something else to fish for or whatever, your day's done. Which is why, I mean. We we took a charter trip with a friend of ours who uh, whose dad paid for it because it was a uh, a present a gift for graduating from med school, and the only reason it was uh, enjoyable for us is because the captain we had who he was a very good captain he was a, a former NFL wide receiver for the Giants he won a couple of Super Bowls so we got to ask him some questions and have some good discussions but um, can we give a shout out to him? Can we we should be able to say his name. Yeah, why not? Go ahead. I can't remember it right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was awesome, though. We really should give him a shout out. That was a uh, good time. I, I can. W- you should Google it and uh, give give a shout out. But if he wouldn't have, we we probably limited out on Snapper in two hours, maybe an hour and a half. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, but and there was a group of uh, let me let me count in my head real quick too. Uh, there was probably six of us, and uh, we got to catch. I believe we got to. We only caught. Did we? Were we able to catch some for the captain and and mate? Were Were they allowed in our uh, counting, or was it just the six They're of not. us? 
Okay. It's just us. But if he took us fishing for a few different types of species of snapper, some of the smaller ones, and I think we even did some uh, some trolling, but if we wouldn't have done that, our trip would have, would have been very short and not very fun. Yeah, I mean, now it's fun to, to catch a snapper, but it's over so quickly. Uh, it's almost not if, – if you don't have a good captain that's willing to, to work and do a little bit extra and put you on some different kind of fish, it – it ain't worth it for you to pay for it or you know sometimes it ain't worth the fuel just to get out there to catch a couple fish has the stat shout out found him all right shout out to dominic hickson awesome charter boat captain if you're going down to pensacola you need to look him up he hates tom brady so anybody from the north he hates tom brady but that was because he played in two super bowls against him he said tom brady's uh has an attitude yeah, and I don't mean I don't mean any disrespect to people who enjoy snapper fishing. Uh, that particular trip was great because Pensacola is so close to reefs that you can fish. I mean, we weren't really uh, I, I would say we were forty five minutes away from fishing spots. Uh, the The downfall here in Mississippi and Alabama is that you have to ride sixty miles just about to get to snapper habitat and you know it it does cost a lot in fuel um it'll wear you out now if you're going out there and you're targeting multiple species of fish and snappers just one of them that's great uh and i've had several days where i've went fishing with my cousin and we limited out on snapper and then started targeting lemon fish and we got a couple lemon fish in the boat and uh we all went home with a couple gallon bags full of fish and good tasting fish too I guess what I really want to talk about is it, it's not a popular opinion, but I just want to, I want to put out there that with red snapper, we have to trust the biologists. We have to trust that the data they're getting and the degrees they've acquired from schools, uh, reputable schools is valid data and that they are good people. They're not there's this theory out there, I think, that there's people putting money in their pockets to to vote against these these things, and man, it's just not true. Uh, they're good people who are passionate about fisheries and and being outdoors, and and they want to conserve these uh, these resources. creatures for our, our resources. Yeah, for our younger generations to be able to enjoy. If we're not careful, we could drive certain fish species to extinction because we overfish them so what do you think about the the rules right now that allow the commercial fishermen to fish them longer than private citizens the reason that happens is because 50 percent of the available and that's a quote unquote available resource is allocated for commercial uh and 50 percent is allocated for um recreational and there's a lot more recreational fishermen going out and catching fish than commercial i know it doesn't seem that way but that's why the resource has to be spread so thin uh, i was reading today that there's a loophole supposedly in the snapper regulations that if exploited could be a real problem uh, there's a charter boat out of texas somewhere that is commercial and it's technically supposed to be fishing for it's not a it's not a boat for hire per se it's supposed to be 
it's supposed to be an allocation of snapper for the seafood industry. Mm-hmm. And what they do, they found a loophole to be able to bring people aboard their vessel to help them catch the fish for the quote unquote seafood industry. And then as soon as they return to harbor, they sell them the snapper that they caught. And this allows them to avoid the two per person snapper limit. And it allows people to who have the money to have access to a resource that other people are, are having to scrounge around for. Mm. I don't have as big a problem with, I do have a problem with that, but what I have more of a problem with is these people who are given an allocation, a commercial allocation of fish, and I don't know if they call it tags or pounds or what they call it, but they'll get their allocation and then they'll sell it to other people. And it's totally legal. I well, think it's... I think right now the government is trying to address that, but for whatever reason they're not able to. And uh, it's created these, I forgot what the term is called, it's something like snapper lords or lords of the sea, something along those lines. Well, I, I, I don't I do know have if I have a problem with that because, you know, I watched the show Deadliest Catch, which is... You know, the, it's been on the air for, seems like, I think, 12 years now, or t- at least 10. You know, when they first started, it was a, a rodeo. You know, the season, they didn't know how long the season was going to be. Fish and wildlife wouldn't tell you how many pounds could be caught. They were just, boats were going out, filling up, and coming back in. And when Fish and Wildlife said, nope, we're done, that was it. And then after, uh, I think that lasted for two or three seasons, and then... They started giving out quotas. They said only this many pounds are going to be caught. Each boat gets this many. And, you know, bigger boats, they bought quota from smaller boats. My thing is if you're going to set an amount of fish or, you know, any type of fish or crab that can be caught, if it's a set amount, then it doesn't matter who has it. It's still going to be caught. You can't catch any more. So, you know if these smaller boats that are given this quota or I, I don't know how it is for snapper I'm, I'm going off the king crab and crab seasons now but if if they want to sell off some of their quota where they make some money without having to put up any expenses I don't have a problem with it now I, I I'm not too fluent with the situation with the snappers or with these snapper lords and you know what that's doing to the thing but I'll just reiterate, if if you have a set number of fish or pounds or whatever that can be caught, then to me it doesn't matter who's catching it as long as the quota is not exceeded. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess the problem I have with it is we're talking about a public resource that has found a way to be privatized. To me, it's no different than being given deer tags and being allowed to sell those deer tags to other people. Uh, You know, Mississippi doesn't have a a physical tagging system. We're just given a limit every year, but uh, it'd be like physically mailing Michael Chambers five tags, uh, you know, three three for bucks, two for does, whatever, and you being allowed to sell those tags to me, if you'd like. But it's it's still, a public resource that has found a way to be sold. Yeah, but it's a public resource that 
you have the opportunity to kill yourself and being deer and fish you can you can bait them that's why it's why it's called fishing and not catching it's why it's called hunting and not shooting you know you you've got to do the right things to get that fish anyway but if it's a resource that you know they say you can catch if you can kill five deer in a season okay well I, if I, you know, if, if we were given tags and you want to sell me two years because you knew you were only going to get in the woods for a certain amount of time and you knew there was no way you could kill your allotted five, well, the state said I can kill the, you know, the state says we have enough deer for everybody to kill five. Well, if I kill eight and you kill two, that's still 10 deer. Now, if I kill five, you kill five or if i killed eight and you killed five then we're then we're at a then we're at a negative there but if we're not exceeding the quota i don't see a problem if they want people to if they want you to fish less or kill less then set the quantity lower the net net and loss thing you know and and i don't really i'm not really saying that i'm not arguing with the quantity of of fish that are are being targeted my problem is that the wealthy the wealthy are being given more opportunity to fish and they're they're exploiting a public resource for personal gain Mm. that's my problem here it's not the quantity being harvested and so back to the deer metaphor if we follow that rabbit hole all the way down the richest people are going to be the ones who get to kill the most deer and but at the same who, time and it turn it turns the the resource into something that it's not meant to be I, I think these are gifts that have been given to us by god for us to enjoy and they're supposed to be a spiritual experience but they're turning them into a, a capitalist endeavor uh, I, and that's I see that but back to deer because that we seem to be able to talk deer skin better than fish scales but the quota the quota or the you know the quantity even if you took more of it you would still be paying because you Aaron are only allocated 5 me Michael only allocated 5 well for you to get two or three of mine you would have to pay me so yeah you being the richer person can afford that, but at the same time, you're still having to give a monetary value for my extra deer that aren't going to be killed. So yeah, you being a richer person could afford that, and maybe you resell them for a greater value. That's capitalism at work. But the lesser person is still getting paid on the commercial side of it. You know, on on the the public side, you still have to you're you're still going to pay your money to go out and catch them on your own but from a commercial side for to me for a captain to get more quota he's got to pay for it it's not just taken because he's got more money he's paying somebody now it may be at a lesser rate because the captain isn't going to have the expenses of fuel and bait and everything else to catch the fish so yeah he may be getting quota at a little at a discount price just because the other captain isn't going to wouldn't have to you know, he would get that money without having to subtract it from expenses, if that makes sense. Just sounds like a real conflict of interest for me. 
I think it I think it makes managing a public resource a lot harder when there's money to be made. Well, it does, but I think to me that goes back to the as long as the quantity isn't exceeded, no harm, no foul. Because if yeah. it's been allocated, well, yeah. Well, it, here's my here's my concluding thoughts about the snapper topic. I what I really wanted to push is that we need to trust our biologists. We need to do as we do in every other aspect of life. We need to trust that we have more good people in the world than we do bad people. There are some corrupt people, but uh, we need to trust that these people are not corrupt millionaires making black market deals behind closed doors. They're good people who are passionate about their, their craft, about their career, and they're trying to do the best thing they can. So... Go out there, enjoy the resource, have fun, you know, but, but when your snapper fishing's done, find something else to be passionate about too because there's no pride in being really good at snapper fishing. They do taste delicious, but we're talking about something that children go out there and, and do a really good job at before they're even taught. <laughs> I mean, you, you drop bait down to the bottom and, and you're going to get a hit. I mean, you, you, the hardest part about snapper fishing is finding the reef and then staying on top of the reef. That's the hardest thing to do at snapper fishing. Uh, but yeah, just go out there and enjoy it. Trust our people. And uh, man, if you don't like what's being done, go out there and get a degree about it. Uh, get a degree in fishery science and uh, find a way to change it. Don't just sit there and grumble and complain and uh, convince yourself that everybody's bad and corrupt because that's just not the problem. Yeah, and I, I think what would help out too is if NOAA and all these, you know, Alabama, Florida, all these Gulf Coast fisheries, what would help is, and like, you know, like you mentioned in the very beginning of this, fishermen go out there and they catch their limit, you know, like that, and they think there's all these fish out there, you know, all these wildlife people are saying that we're at a low. I think if they did a better job of uh, getting their their method of figuring that out there a little bit better so whatever whatever formulas whatever computer models they're using if they could find a way to communicate that a little better instead of just saying you know hey this is what is there's not as many fish as you think and fishermen are like i'm done in an hour i think if it all goes back to the communication thing if if they could communicate a little bit better or, or show their proof a little bit better i think it would be make it easier on uh, regular fishermen not really understanding it um well and and this will be the final example that i bring up here but my cousin is very good at snapper fishing in the sense that he he only worries about the boat we hardly ever anchor up uh most of the time what we do is figure out the wind direction and then whatever direction the current is running and he finds a way to work both of those things together harmoniously to keep the boat on top of the reef or at least make passes over the reef. And he will be the first one to tell you to trust the science because we go out there early season, opening day, the first couple days, and you can reel up snapper off of a certain reef left and right. You come back two weeks later and it's thin. There's no fish there. They've, the, they're, the ones that are remaining, uh, you know, they're thin. They're, they're just not as heavily populated on that reef as they were a couple weeks before. People wear them out. 
And there's a practice that people are doing that is bad. It's wrong. Uh, where and I can't. There's a there is a common name for it, but I can't remember what it's. It's something grading. Uh, I can't remember. But anyway, it's where you catch fish. Let's say you catch a 17-inch red snapper. You and there's four people on the boat or something. So you get your eight snapper in the boat, and all of them are like 17 to 22 inches. Well, you can keep fishing. And if you catch like a 24-incher, then you throw your smallest snapper back overboard. So you, if you get pulled over by a conservation officer, you've got the right limit of fish, but you actually harvested, you actually killed more than that. Now, what I think is okay is if you reel them up and you're like, we're not keeping anything under 18 inches today. So as soon as you reel it up, you catch one that's, you know, 16, 17 inches, you... Uh, release its air bladder if you have to, its swim bladder so that it's going to survive. You put it back in the water and it swims back down to the bottom. That's okay with me, catch and release. But if you put it in your cooler and that fish dies, that's your fish. You need to keep that fish. Especially if you're one of those loudmouths that's trying to, to, to bash the, the fisheries uh, scientists that are out there working to conserve that resource and you're out there moaning and complaining and then you're you're killing more than what has been approved for you by that agency i, I agree with that. that that to me that's a good final point uh i agree with what you're saying so we're gonna we're gonna end the podcast on a little bit of a lighter note like we're trying to do we're trying to get this little thing going where we give you our list it's gonna be a little lighthearted. we're gonna have discussion we're gonna have fun with it we're gonna pick on each other but on a, today, uh, Aaron and I are going to give our top five fast food joints that we like to uh, give our money to, even though now uh, Mike's on a diet and trying to lose weight. I've actually been given the nickname Keto Mike by, by my friends. Uh, so anytime you're, you're feeling down, just remember, friends will not give you support at anything you do. They will tear you down no matter what. But we're gonna um, we're gonna give you our top five fast food joints. Uh, Aaron, what is your number five? And we'll we'll trade off each given you know working down the list. So what's number five for you? Okay, so they don't have a drive-through, and we didn't we didn't say what the stipulation that makes fast food fast food. I'm thinking right. you walk in, you order, they hand it to you. Okay. So my number five is salsaritas. And I'm not sure if they're all over the place, but it's kind of like a Moe's Southwest Grill. You walk up, you order, they make it right in front of you. When you get to the end of the line, you pay and you're, you walk away with your food. But they've got some really delicious things. Their quesadillas are awesome. Uh, their queso and chips, they put like this Southwest uh, seasoning on their chips, which like I could just eat them by themselves. I don't even need the queso. Uh, but they're, they're burritos. They even do like a rendition of the quesarito like Taco Bell does. But uh, it's it's very good. Salsaritas, number five. All right. And, you know, if anybody's listening to the show before, you know, you know I cannot follow the rules of a list to save my life. Just check out the uh, movie list that we did a couple episodes ago. But I did a little better this time. I have two number fives. I have a 5A and a 5B. 5B is kind of a wild card. I'll let Aaron decide about this one if, if it's allowable or not. But 5B is Waffle House. 
do you consider Waffle House fast food? As long as you don't sit down to eat there. Ah, uh, you know, they're pretty fast anyway. Uh, okay. You, you order a waffle and it's out in five minutes. Uh, I'll allow it. That's a gray right. area. And, and uh, we we have some new listeners over in England and Sweden and Spain. Uh, Spain's been with us since the beginning. But the, our European listeners won't know what Waffle House is. You can Google it. But it's basically southern breakfast all day long. It's a southeastern United States thing. Um, FEMA, which is the Federal Emergency uh, Standards or uh, Organization Management Agency. Management Agency. I, w- I wasn't going to finish out FEMA, but it's Federal Emergency Management Agency. They actually judge a disaster by how it affects Waffle Houses in the area. Uh, if Waffle House closes, they know it's pretty bad. But Waffle House is 5B, and then 5A was Popeyes. It's my family's from New Orleans. It's where Popeye started. Um, uh, I know many people think of KFC as being the American chicken restaurant, but to me, KFC is not as good as Popeye's. Uh, I love the biscuits at Popeye's, the French fries, and the the chicken is just to me a little bit better than KFC and churches. So, five B Waffle House, five A Popeye's. Uh, what what what's your number four? Oh boy, I had to go classic here, Mike. McDonald's, mm. but with an asterisk, maybe three asterisks. McDonald's that is well managed is tough to beat. A classic, and my favorite thing on there is just a cheeseburger, man. Cheese, ketchup, mustard, onions, and pickles. It's so good, so good when it's just done right, and that comes out hot. Uh, you know, the ice cream machines are always broke, but the fries, McDonald's, McDonald's has my second favorite fries. You'll find out about my first favorite fries here soon, but they have my second favorite fries and the cheeseburgers are awesome. Hot and spicy McChicken. You can eat like a king at McDonald's for like six bucks. But you're not eating real beef. Now I agree. I eat McDonald's just because there's so many of them and it's cheap, but it wasn't until recently that they started using real beef. Now, soybean tastes like beef, I guess, but um, you actually put pickles on a burger voluntarily? Oh, heck yeah. Uh, no, not me. Not me. For shizzle dizzle. Uh, I'm more of a mayonnaise and ketchup kind of guy myself. But um, All right, number four for me, which I know this is going to be higher on your list, is the good old Taco Bell. Nothing like some grade C meat late at night or, you know, if you really want to eat well for cheap, Taco Bell is your place. I order, I'm a creature of habit. I order the same thing from every fast food restaurant. Uh, Waffle House, it's either two bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits or the all-star. Popeye's, it's a five-piece chicken tender basket. Can I guess your Taco Bell? Go ahead, bro. Yeah, go ahead. Chicken quesadilla meal, uh, soft taco, no lettuce. That's close. That I have that has been a constant order of mine, but now it is a chicken quesadilla. I keep the hard taco, 
and I add some Mexi melts with no pico de gallo. It's it's ah. to me. I don't know if it's a, a different kind of juice they use or a different kind of cheese or just the fact that they steam it or heat it up. But that Mexi melt, it's kind of pricey for their menu, but it is. Oh, it is so good. I, I you know I, I I sometimes order three of them at one time. I think they do use a more premium cheese on mm. the Mexi melt. It just seems creamier. I don't know. I think it's also the right. they either steam it or they do something to make it a little softer. I, I don't. I don't know. It, it, it's glorious. Um, what you got, at number three, buddy? Oh boy, you gonna make my mouth water here? What a burger, baby! Mm. What a burger! And this was tough. This was tough. Uh, but what a burger has that sweet and spicy bacon cheeseburger uh their fries are my favorite their fries are so freaking good uh perfect amount of salt every time they always come out hot um that that sweet and spicy bacon cheeseburger is consistent and i've tried a couple different uh burgers i tried one i want to say i tried the mushroom and swiss burger it was really good um maybe tried the chop house burger it was also good the potato taquito <laughs> with cheese yes ma'am add the cheese what do you think this is spicy ketchup dadgum i love whataburger so i actually had forgotten about whataburger i can't believe it um honey butter at, chicken biscuit yeah honey butter chicken biscuit patty melt add bacon um, we're actually going to bump Popeyes off this list, and because I don't want to reorder everything, we're going to put Whataburger at number five on mine. Popeyes just got bumped. Um, number three. So that was your number three. Yes, sir. All right. So number three for me is uh, those good old cows at Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A. I, I don't know. You know, it's chicken. They don't do anything else. They're not like the burger joints that have chicken salads and burgers. They only do chicken. I get chicken nuggets with uh, extra helping of Chick-fil-A sauce. That stuff is like liquid crack, I'm assuming. Um, oh, yeah. I get, I get like four of them per, per order because I just dunk that chicken in there and get all that goodness. But Chick-fil-A, number three for me. So I'll just I'll keep this Chick-fil-A talk going because that's my number two. And here's why. Chick-fil-A is 100% consistent. Every time I go to Chick-fil-A, I get hot food that tastes the same. It's uh, cooked to perfection. The waffle fries are fantastic. And I've never found a place like Chick-fil-A where you can go complain about the smallest thing and they're going to give you a gift card for a free chicken sandwich. You could go in there and tell them that your drink has too much ice. It's too much ice. There's barely any drink in this. What is this? Too much ice. I'm so sorry for your trouble, sir. Here's a Chick-fil-A gift card for a free chicken sandwich. One day, I was uh, at the the Chick-fil-A in Oxford, and I ordered my meal. I sat down. I'd been waiting like three minutes, Mike. Three minutes. They brought me my food and said, we're so sorry for your wait. Here's a Chick-fil-A gift card. We're so sorry about that. We did not mean it for it to take that long. I was thinking, dadgum. I got my food before my two friends did. They didn't get Chick-fil-A cards. So good. And I don't care about all this political uh, hoopla around them. It, it goes back to our discussion about products and businesses. You don't go to a business. You don't buy a product for their political views, in my opinion. 
You go there for their product or their service. And if they do a good job at it, that's why you go there. Now, uh, I believe... I also heard this argument, and I agree with this. If you found out that Chick-fil-A abused somebody or that they were uh, disrespectful to a certain social group, then yes, that would be a different story. But just because they believe their their religious or philosophical views are different than yours, that don't mean you need to boycott them. Heck, Starbucks, I guarantee you Starbucks is much more liberal than what you and I are. But when I want coffee, I'm buying Starbucks coffee. It's good coffee. You don't like McDonald's coffee, McCafe? It's okay. It's okay. Is that not what you drink in your home? Uh, we, we buy whatever is on sale now. That's in, in between a couple different brands. We found Dunkin' Donuts coffee on sale, so that's what we've got right now. Mm. Uh, I would agree with you on Chick-fil-A, and surprisingly, their biscuits are very good uh, in the mornings. Mm. But I agree with you. Chicken you minis. Know. Yeah. Uh, as long as you're not abusing a group, you can have your views. But if you're not discriminating against anybody, and that's kind of in the news now uh, with certain restaurants and certain things going on. But, you know, Chick-fil-A, it's never come out that they've abused anybody or, or de- denied service to anybody. They just have, you know, they're not going to be open on Sunday. And that's the day you always crave a Chick-fil-A s- sandwich. True. Um, number two for me is, is they're pricey. It's a little pricey to eat at this restaurant. It's Five Guys. To me, Ooh. it is probably tied up there. It's tied. My my number one is a burger place, and it's tied up there. I mean, it's the price probably keeping it from number one and brand loyalty that I have for number one. But Five Guys, and to me. I like their fries. They can be a little too greasy, I don't know, or, or a little not firm enough. But that is one of the positives of Five Guys. You're going to get, they're not going to cook it until you walk in and order it, so it's going to be fresh. And then if you order a small fry, they'll give you a small fry, and then you're going to get a scoop in the bag. Heck, you order a large, you might get two scoops in the bag. You know, you'll end up with fries that can feed you for two days at Five Guys. But you're going to pay. You don't like walk two. out of there hungry. No, but you're going to pay like $20 for a hamburger. And they don't have combos. It's buy your drink separate, buy your fries separate, buy your burger separate. So, mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a very good product. Yeah. That one's borderline not really fast food, but it's 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 the food they cook is the category of fast food. It's burgers and fries and milkshakes now. Well, Five Guys is like a steak and shake or a... Uh, I'm trying to think of a, another restaurant similar to that, but it's kind of like a steak and shake. Mm-hmm. They cook on that griddle or whatnot. All right, Aaron, we're down to All it. All right. Is your number one go. Taco Bell? Yes, it is. I could eat there every day of the week, Mike. No problem. And and there's no way you could guess my frequent order because I, well, there's actually one thing that I always order, but I the other things change up. Uh, I always order a bean burrito and I either add extra quesadilla sauce, creamy jalapeno, for those of you who are not Taco Bell experts, or I ask them to put extra red sauce on the, the bean burrito. And that's probably my number one favorite item on the menu. But uh, I like a soft taco supreme, 
Double Decker Supreme, Cheesy Gordita Crunch, Nachos Bel Grande with extra nacho cheese sauce, Steak Quesadilla, Steak Soft Taco, Mexi Melt, Mini Chicken Quesadilla, Potato Soft Taco. The Cinnamon Crisps are pretty good. I like the cinnamon bun, the Cinnaball things, you know, the, uh, I, is that the correct term for them? The uh, Cinnabon Delights. Yes, that's Cinnabon it. Cinnabon Delights. So good. Those are very good. Sinfully good. Uh, whatever's in that Chick-fil-A sauce is also in those Cinnabon Delights. Uh, now, I, I'm i a little upset with Taco Bell because they took away um, the Baja sauce that was on the gorditas. <sighs> uh yeah and, and they also took away the fire sauce um that's volcano sauce mm. um they used to have volcano nacho Grande. that was like the bomb.com but that's my number one man uh, i i can't say it's it's a little surprising i know how much you like it but i, I didn't know if you would go with them a little more classier or uh, place at number one, but I can see it for you. Number one for we me. We basically, we basically budget for Taco Bell. Like we have a, <laughs> we basically have a Taco Bell envelope in our budget. Mm. All right. What's your number one, man? Number one for me is going to be that little girl with the red pigtails. No. Dave Thomas and Wendy's. They have the perfect burger. Two slices of cheese, two quarter-pound patties, and six strips of bacon, and it comes with mayonnaise and ketchup. It was like Wendy's took my dream order when I was seven and made it into a burger when I was an adult. You just go and ask for a Baconator. They've got good fries. The only thing I'm not too happy with Wendy's is uh, six... Maybe, I can't remember how long ago it was. But they changed the bun up a little bit. It's still good. It's probably not, I don't know, it's not not my favorite bun. But it's good enough to keep them up there. The Frosty Machine's never broken. Mm. Uh, Really never had the chili or the baked potato or anything. But uh, order growing up was Junior Bacon Cheeseburger, add bacon. Then I graduate to... Give me a number two, add bacon, just mayonnaise and ketchup. And then Wendy's made the Baconator. So they, since I've been a little kid, Wendy's has been my go-to place. They are my number one restaurant. Fast food. Yeah, Frosties are good. Man, I used to eat at Wendy's all the time. I don't know why. That really slowed down. Maybe it's because they don't have one where you live. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. I hate Burger King. Hate Burger King. Yeah. I don't know. I think Will they not finally uh I think they finally changed their breakfast and got away from croissants instead of biscuits in the morning, but I can't substantiate that because I don't eat there. Um now I will say Hardee's has a very good breakfast. Uh their burgers are okay, but they're they really do a good breakfast for me. Or as our people out west, I, if anybody's listening, Carl's Jr. <laughs> yeah, I could eat Hardee's though. Hardee's Hardee's is Hardee's sausage biscuit in the morning is is pretty good. And back when I was in uh, high school, my shop teacher would send us on Hardee Hardee's runs during class time. 
Now, Arguably on, illegal, but now it's okay. on future episodes we might have to get into you know because Subway could be considered fast food, but there's a whole we could do a we could we and we probably will do a list on just like deli sandwiches places like McAllister's, Nukes, Jimmy John's, Lenny's, Subway. You know, I've pretty much named them all, Jersey Mike's, but we may order them, list those up because we we probably have strong opinions on which ones we like the best anyway. But. Uh, Jimmy John's came really close to making this list. Jimmy John's. You know, I wasn't even thinking about subs when I did this. I was thinking more burger and chicken places. But I don't want to ruin the list for next time like Aaron's trying to do. But Jimmy John's is highly thought of in my household. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it tonight from the Lodge. We want to thank our listeners across the country in the U.S. of A., and our European listeners. We don't know if you're Americans overseas or you're just Europeans that like to listen to discussions about the South. But if anybody would like to reach out to us with questions, comments, or, you know, just anything, you want to send us a meme or, you know, something funny, you can reach out to our email, southernlodge1 at gmail.com. That's uh, the number one, not the word. Uh, we welcome any comments or anything y'all want to give us. So... That's it from the Lodge. We'll see y'all next time.